Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It is Friday. And that means... Well, let me check. Yep, that means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rap. I write for Slash Film. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I contribute to Slash Film. And golly, uh, we look so different the the photography is so much clearer. Oh yeah, uh, in this audio podcast, uh, our our lips are more articulated. We still have, Damn right. we still <laughs> we still have big goofy eyeballs, yes. but our skin is crinklier. <laughs> and our, sure and our movie is... is a lot longer. Point is, we're in a new era. We've That's we've right. op- we've kicked open a new door. Yeah, the doors of perception are wide open with Godzilla. Uh, this is uh, 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 another Godzilla movie. We did a Godzilla movie. <laughs> Shut up. A lot of them. <laughs> we did a Godzilla movie two weeks ago. It was the last film of the uh, Showa era mm. of uh, Godzilla. It was the last film ever directed by Ishiro Honda. Uh, and then Godzilla took a break for the better part of a decade. Uh, Nine years. Yeah. Th- they had tried. To bring Godzilla back earlier, it wasn't like he was like anathema uh, to mm-hmm. Toho, and they had like pitched some other ideas. They thought about doing an actual remake of the original movie. Uh, apparently, there was one pitch called Godzilla versus the Devil, which sounds really cool. Um, a ninety foot devil. That I'm imagining fun, a ninety yeah. foot devil be pretty badass, but um, well, only if it's the devil from the uh, the Mexican film Santa Claus. Nice, like with, with the, was, the was red his face name, paint. Was, was his name Scratch? Old Scratch, yeah. Yes. That's a terrible movie. <laughs> oh, it's god-awful, but I recommend you watch it immediately. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's one of the few... It's, it's, there's, it, was a, it was made famous by Mystery Science Theater 3000, which, of course, you know, mm. made a lot of jokes, riffed on it. Uh, and a lot of Mystery Science Theater 3000 movies aren't actually that fun to watch without the riffing. Like, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, a it's, legitimately oh, it's, it's hard death. watch. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really hard so to get through. It's so boring. Unbelievably boring without the commentary. Uh, but that Santa Claus movie is a treat. That's just a weird <laughs> acid trip of a kid's movie. And I love it to pieces. And I, yes, I assume that's what Godzilla vs. the Devil was about. Um, by the time uh, they had hit the 80s, uh, there was uh, talk of doing a, an American version of Godzilla. Like an actual American film. Uh, mm. That would have been directed by Steve Miner. Hey, who, yeah, who from, would have done it? Yeah, yeah Steve Miner from uh, the Friday, he did Friday Thirteenth Part Two. Uh, he did mm. uh, Halloween H two O, and he wanted to do a big epic stop motion uh, Godzilla movie with with the monster would have been stop motion, uh, probably along. The, I imagine maybe they would have done go motion by that point, like the dragon and dragon slayer. Yeah, which, but it looked really cool. Uh, it would have been go motion in eighty four. Yeah. Um, go motion was a. It, it's what we would have had if we didn't go down the CGI route. Um, yeah, we would have stuck it was with yeah, it was uh, using stop motion animation, mm. but adding a special kind of photographic motion blur to get rid of that jerkiness that you see in a lot of stop motion animation, yeah. just to make it look a lot more natural. Yeah, you can find uh, some early um, Jurassic Park footage mm. where they use like that kind of animation. It looks really good. Yeah, no. Would have looked good in the movie, but you know they, they went with CGI instead. Uh, apparently, he also wanted it to be 3D, and the budget got really ballooned. And they uh, decided uh, at that time there was some concern. Okay, there's going to be this American version of Godzilla. It won't be, you know, 
will it be right? Will it be the real yeah. Godzilla? And so they thought about doing a new uh, Japanese version concurrently. Uh, and then the Steve Miner version never got made, and they ended up taking, I guess, a few ideas from it ended up in this movie. I don't know which ones. And then we got one of the first requels. Ever, really? Yeah. Or this well, I guess they did that with like Universal Monster movies a couple of times, mm-hmm. where they ignored events of certain sequels. I think in that I, case, I, they just forgot. I think that was just bad continuity. Yeah, I think here yeah. they, they knew what they were doing. They specifically, in an attempt to get back to Godzilla's uh, more horror movie, more serious roots, uh, they didn't remake it. They took the original film as gospel and then ignored all all the others that entire cycle that we went through where godzilla went from being uh an an agent of chaos to a begrudging hero to an actually highly motivated hero uh Mm. none of that happened no this is like when david gordon green said and all those other strode isn't his sister we're not doing any of that anymore we're going right back to the base and all of the the other monsters that we've Mm -hmm. been introduced to gone there's no mothra Mm-hmm. In this universe, at least not yet. There is one other monster, and we'll talk about that. But it's it's not a giant. It well, is giant. It's but giant. It's, not... it's giant for what it is. It's it's yeah. a mutated uh, sea louse. Yeah, it's like a, a like a, a three inch long sea creature that's like six feet long. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that mm-hmm. in a minute. But uh, yeah, Godzilla doesn't fight any other monsters in this movie. This is about Godzilla as a force of nature, as a representation of. Uh, mankind's hubris and trying to harness nuclear uh, energy, nuclear power, nuclear weapons, uh, and a, a sobering reminder that as far as Godzilla had come and as far as many decades had passed since World War II, uh, of the devastation yeah. that had come in its wake. Uh, this movie was made not terribly long after the Three Mile Island incident, so this was all very fresh in people's minds. Uh, and it's not as stark it's not as dour as the original gojira Mm. but it is comparatively compared to pretty much any other godzilla movie we've seen since then a lot more serious about Godzilla. they're they're trying to make a a, not a somber but a little little bit more of an intense action picture yeah rather than something that a kid could see on a Saturday morning, which yeah. is what the, the series had kind of become, especially is, in the hands of uh, Jin Fukuda. If you remember at the beginning of the Godzilla cycle, uh, and even the, the the related films like Rodan and such, um, a lot of those movies, when the monster would attack, we'd get a lot of boardroom meetings. Yeah. Just a lot of politicians and scientists debating what they know, what they can do, what their options are. So they brought they brought that back. They brought that back. <laughs> Yay! Like, I mean, like in full force. There's a lot of boardrooms in this movie. Yeah, and it makes it feel like more adult. You know, it yeah. makes it feel like it's not like a kid's movie, so it has that impact. And it's good to see them taken kind of seriously again, although they, they overdo it slightly. Uh, but well, uh, they, they overdo it until the climax, mm-hmm. and then they have... They've got a weapon called the Super X. Uh-huh. That's from which, a different movie altogether. That's yeah. like from the Mysterians. Yeah, it's like it becomes really cartoony at the end. So yeah. you get all the silliness during all of like the smashing and the action climax. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to thrill at all of that, but up until that point, it's a lot of portents. Mm-hmm. Godzilla's coming. This thing might be Godzilla. Maybe it's not. Yes, it is. But we don't see Godzilla for a long time, and there it is on the radar. It's like all of this build up. I've got a theory. I don't know how conscious this this may have been. Uh, it, or even if anyone had it on their mind at all. But um, 
this movie is not just like a follow-up to Gojira. I feel like it's sort of tacitly working through the paces of the rest of the Godzilla uh, franchise tonally, where it starts mm. off really dark. It's actually got a lot of horror elements right at the beginning. And then it moves into more of the disaster movie, uh, breeding couple, uh, <laughs> you know, just to getting a little distracted by the events yeah, of yeah. humanity and like world politics. And then at the end, it gets more sci-fi and goes a little a little wilder. Um, if you recall, the movie that uh, helped jumpstart the zombie genre again after it had become a little moribund uh, was Danny Boyle's Twenty Eight Days Later. Oh, which just uh, it, which which made it feel very fresh and new, but really, if you look at that movie, it's a remake of Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, where the first third all is, at once, yeah, the first third is Night of the Living Dead, just one person kind of alone, not trying to figure out what's going on, getting trapped in an isolated location. The second one is more of like a group dynamic, but there's also a certain amount of freedom. They literally go shopping, and then in the final act, they end up trapped. Uh, in a small location with a bunch of soldiers who are letting their perceived power and male egos go to their head and they're dooming them all. Which is Day of the Dead. That's Day of the Dead. So I feel like we're getting a little bit of that with Return of Godzilla. Yeah. Um, But um, yeah. So let's talk about Return of Godzilla. Uh, One thing that they didn't bring back is the original score. Yeah. They didn't reorchestrate it. They didn't bring back the original uh, composer. Uh, I think they offered, but he said no. Um, instead, we get a score that at times feels uh, uh, very uh, big and brassy and triumphant. Mm-hmm. At times feels a little bit dour. And at times sounds like pomp and circumstance. Well, a little bit. Here, Here's what happened in between 1975 and 1984, mm. Steven Spielberg, uh, he just yeah. dropped into blockbuster filmmaking like a bomb. Like his techniques just changed the way everything was done, the way things were photographed, yeah. the way these movies were scored. Well, everybody was imitating some that credit kind needs of... to go to George Lucas for that as well for Star Wars, for Star Wars Raiders yeah. as well. Yeah, but that also happened after the last sure. Godzilla movie. So yeah, these the 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 way the language of blockbuster cinema had changed very dramatically, very quickly. So you yeah. watch Terror of Mechagodzilla. And then you watch Return of Godzilla that was made nine years later, and it's yeah. like night and day. They're very different films. Yeah. Now, I, I, it, we've talked about this a lot before about how, like, you know, the, the, the way cinematic storytelling shifts between eras or generations doesn't happen all at once. We like to think of movies as an 80s movie or a 90s movie, yeah. but the wave of filmmaking doesn't just end because it's January 1st, 1990. The first year or two of 1990s movies feel a lot like 80s movies. Yeah. The first year or two, I'd say three, actually, of 80s movies feel a lot like 70s movies. For me, I feel like the shift... Was 84? (laughs) I feel like the shift... There's a specific movie, though. I feel like everything before Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, Uh is a 70s movie. And everything after is an 80s movie. Because yeah. if you watch... Because those movies came out really close to each other. Talk about Steve Miner again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Friday the 13th, 1, 2, and 3 have a very... Grindhouse uh, kind of a vibe. Much more yeah. grindhouse. A lot more... A lot grainier. A lot more, uh, you know, sort of uh, cinematically scary. And then when you hit the, the fourth one... Uh, it is slick. The color timing is different. We're having a whole different kind of teenagers behaving a whole different way. Mm-hmm. The music is completely different. Someone, some, something just clicked yeah. right there. And when you skip, like the the evolution of Godzilla 
happened really gradually because they were making so many movies over such a quick amount of time that it's hard to say exactly when Godzilla shifted in his characterization even. But because we took a break for the better part of a decade, this feels totally new. Yeah. It's got a lot of similarities because it's still Godzilla smashing stuff, but there's a lot of new elements. There's a lot of new cinematic techniques. Uh, apparently they were, I don't know if they were inspired or trying to compete with um, the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong, uh, which... Oh, that bomb, yeah. That was not a good movie, actually. It's very dull. But one of the things that they were very proud of was that they were going to build not like a stop-motion toy. Uh-huh. Uh, not even a guy in a suit a, a lot of the time. At least that was their intention. They wanted to build like a giant God, uh, giant King Kong robot. Like a giant <laughs> animatronic. Like, wouldn't that be the coolest thing ever? Problem is, um, that's hard to do. Those things are not really designed to work on that size and scale. You're not going to get a lot of uh, nuance. They weigh a lot. Uh, did you ever go to Disney World in Florida? Uh, not since I was a kid. Okay, well, I, well, I guess maybe you don't know that there was a their their answer to the Matterhorn mm. uh, is uh, a, another roller coaster along like uh, you know a snowy peak, uh, and it's supposed to culminate where you go inside the mountain and there's a giant yeti. Yeah, really cool looking yeti. That was supposed to be an animatronic. It was supposed to move. Uh, it very quickly broke. <laughs> and because it was so gigantic and because it was kind of built into the ride, it wasn't designed to be removed, mm. they can't fix it. It's, it's just broken <laughs> it's there. It's just broken. Yeah. They're just stuck with it. So you just come in and you look at a big statue and you go, ah, this still looks cool, but it's not what it sh- should have been. Uh-huh. It's not what the intention was. So the actual giant King Kong robot stuff that they did is in the movie very little. Like they felt like they had to put it in there a little bit, but it's not in there much. There's a few large-scale robot Godzilla effects. It's mostly close-ups of his head and arms. Uh Uh-huh. And it looks terrible. You don't like the the robotic Godzilla? No, it's the arms. The head is fine. Hmm. The arms look like I'm playing with a dinky toy and I'm just moving the arms myself. Well, a a great part of watching Haruo Nakajima play Godzilla is there's a performance in it. Yeah. Haruo Nakajima was very good at sort of modulating performance a little bit, so you at least got like some character, some uh, yeah. actual like organic movement out of this silly yeah. monster suit, essentially. And, but in the later movies, when they recast, the performance got a lot more broad. But yeah, comparatively, there's a lot of subtlety. Yeah. In like the first, I don't know, ten movies or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, you don't get that. Yeah. With an, an animatronic, and they're. They're not even getting it that well with the CGI. And you can do anything with CGI in some of the newer ones. Yeah. But uh, you just don't get that same kind of mm-hmm. attitude, same kind of life. Well, it's because it, CGI is also... Um, and then, don't get me wrong, sometimes it works great. There's a lot of CGI oh, yeah. characters that uh, genuinely have, have the, a lot of... Have you seen Godzilla Minus One yet? Not yet. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but uh, some of the, there's a lot of CGI characters that do have a lot of personality. Some of them are motion capture. Some of them are traditionally animated. Um... But they're, but they're more of a collaborative effort. If it's just one guy in the suit, you get a lot more, like, that That just feels like the decision that one character would have made. Yeah. It's a little different. Do you remember in the MTV Movie Awards, back before their Lifetime Achievement Award was something they took seriously, mm-hmm. and they would give it to people like Chewbacca? Yeah. Do you remember that? Uh, they brought out Patrick Stewart one year. Okay. To announce the winner of their Lifetime Achievement Award. 
and he he looked great by the way he had a he had a cool suit and instead of wearing like a white shirt and a tie like a traditional uh awards attire hawaiian shirt coolest fucking look i've ever seen in my <laughs> life it's my favorite look i've ever seen anyone in he comes out and he says i'm here to talk about oh my god my voice goes, we should take the argo uh, <laughs> uh, I'm here today to talk about an actor we have all admired for a very long time, star of dozens of motion pictures, uh, someone who is... Uh, God, it's like he's in the room with us. I know, right? <laughs> I don't know what voice I'm doing anymore. I'm totally lost. But he was like, yes, it's a, a brilliant actor, of a, a, a talented physical performer. He didn't need dialogue. He could convey so much with just the, the movement of an eyebrow. Uh, and that's why we are honored today to give our MTV Movie Award to Godzilla. <laughs> and he's really like he can do so much with just the flick of an eyebrow um of course in this one he has like well not eyebrows he's a but he's a furrowed brow he's a furrowed brow but more than that it's it's the mouth they put all the animatronics in the mouth yeah his his actual look because he had especially in the later ones big cartoon eyes you know made him made him look really friendly yeah uh here he's got the big orb eyes it's like the same eyes but it's like he's got this permanent Kubrickian stare. Like his hmm. his like the eyeballs don't really swivel. The eyeballs don't swivel. His like eyelids are like lowered a little bit, so it looks like he's always just looking at you like from a slightly lower angle, going, "Really, <laughs> we're doing this today." Uh, he always looks vaguely pissed, uh, and that's a that's a good look for Godzilla to have when he's not Hero Godzilla. Um, so that's where we're at there. Uh, we open with a volcanic eruption, which has apparently uh, awakened Godzilla from his slumber. Never mind that in, in Gojira he was literally vaporized. Which it is really unusual because later in this same continuity, mm-hmm. they're going to bring up the Oxygen Destroyer. Yeah. And the skeleton of the original Godzilla. So this is hovering co- in terms of Godzilla. continuity... Somewhere between the original and Godzilla Raids Again, which was the second Godzilla. So the suggestion so, that we'll get later is that this was not the original Godzilla. This is yet another Godzilla. I'm guessing this is supposed to be like a rebooted version of the Godzilla we saw in Godzilla Raids Again. Uh, so imagine that Godzilla Raids Again did happen. Okay. But without Anguirus. Aww. Yeah. But... Anguirus is his best friend. <laughs> Anguirus, go check it out. Okay, boss. <laughs> <Okay. Ross. laughs> ah, bummer. Well, um, in any case, Godzilla is awakened, uh, and uh, you know there's there's a big storm, and Godzilla attacks a boat, hmm. and but we don't see it. It's all off camera. It's all off camera. There's like some screams, and like there's some you see like the there's like a island in the background, and the island kind of moves like we were looking at Godzilla's back or something. It's pretty cool. And then we cut to, like, later... It feels like the next day, but it's clearly a little bit longer than that. And a reporter in a boat comes up to the ship we had just been watching. And it's like in Zombie 2, where they just enter a boat and it's devastation, it's carnage. And at first I thought, did, did Godzilla just, like, pick up the boat and shake out all the people like Tic Tacs? Cause I don't see any people, <laughs> uh, but there are people they are below deck and they're all desiccated. Yeah. And I was like, how did Godzilla do that? And it turns out, as you already mentioned, uh, there is a smaller, quite big, but smaller monster on the ship. And it is, uh, like a, it's like a tick or something. Like it's they, a they, sea, call it a sea they call louse. it a sea louse, yeah. but like to, to, if you can't picture what that means, imagine like a, a tick. 
and but it's like the size of like a large dog uh and it has apparently killed and desiccated all but one member of the crew it attacks people stab it it's actually kind of scary this okay. whole sequence it's actually really kind of atmospheric and creepy and it, a, a sea louse is a, a crustacean okay so like a little shrimp guy okay I feel like what we're doing here is something that uh, some later Godzilla movies would do, in particular uh, the Gareth Edwards uh, version, uh, where you think you know where you're going, but we're going to like spring a surprise monster on you. Mm. Like at the beginning, just, haha, it wasn't Godzilla yet. Haha, we got another monster yeah. for you, which is, which is kind of fun. It's also the idea that the sea louse fed on Godzilla, like drank Godzilla's radioactive blood and yeah, became a, a parasite monsters. on Godzilla's skin. Yeah. Started eating bits of Godzilla and became radioactive itself. And that's a cool concept. Do they do more with that later? No. You know that's what? a shame. What, what, so the climax easy. of the movie should have been, we have a piece of Godzilla. I will eat it myself. Right? And, and then, become a big mutant person. And right? And fight Godzilla hand to hand. Seriously, like this whole like, oh, we should build an army of super soldiers. That actually is rights itself in this one. Right. And they <laughs> avoid it, which is weird. That's a concept that would later be used in the movie Cloverfield. Where the giant did, monster did they, had like some smaller like uh, parasitic creatures living on it, and they would like yeah. fall off and, and attack also people. attack people. Yeah. yeah, it's a small part of the movie, but it's pretty memorable. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. You seem like you don't remember very well. I, I remember the smaller creatures. I yeah. don't. I, I didn't think they had anything to do with the plot. They were just other monsters. Well, they didn't really have anything to do with the plot. They just mm. fell off the bigger monster. But yeah, yeah fair enough. Um, the reporter. Talks to the guy who survived. He explains that he saw a giant monster breathing fire and they put together that it's Godzilla. Godzilla is back. That's bad. Uh, the government finds out that this guy has seen Godzilla and the government is like, well, let's not tell anybody. <laughs> that would, that would cause a panic. Yeah, people. And it would. And we, and we meet the prime minister. We go yeah. to the prime minister's office. The, Sir, there's a Godzilla around. Well, we can't tell the people. Yeah. Like, and, I, and I get it. It would cause a panic. But also, you're not going to be able to hide this very long. Like, I get, let's not have a press conference this minute, let's talk out our strategy so that when we have a press conference, we can tell people what we're going to do, rather than only tell them, there's a giant monster, run, run for your lives. Mm. But they let it go for days. <laughs> and this guy, uh, he tracks down uh, the survivor's sister, who still thinks he's dead. And it turns out, by sheer coincidence, she's working for the one scientist who can solve all their problems later in the movie. A little contrived, but what are you going to do? Um... And he, there's this weird bit where like he's hanging out with the sister, and he says, you know, they're, they're, I wasn't, I'm not supposed to tell you this because the government put the kibosh on my, on my story. But uh, your brother is alive. The government isn't as strong as sisterly love. And then he like walks <laughs> off all cool, like like ha, 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 she thinks I'm neat. And then she runs into, I don't know how she found out like what room he's in in the hospital, but she runs into the hospital. There's a tearful reunion, and then the reporter just pops up with like a photographer, like like in a Revenge of the Nerds movie where they're like taking pictures of a prank or something, and it's like ha ha, what a scoop. And they're like, okay, don't worry, we can't we can't print this yet what <laughs> you're an asshole and it turns out she does say he's an asshole but they she also kind of falls for him a little bit not a lot but some anyway uh the the, the hero guy the injured guy is mm. boring character he doesn't have he's a lot to just, do he talks like... about like wanting to get revenge on godzilla and you think well maybe he'll like 
pilot the Super X at the end or something? No, not really. The reporter, after that opening bit, doesn't have a lot to do either. It becomes all about the scientists, which is okay, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it kind of feels like we waste a little time with them. Um, Uh, All of the boardroom meetings we were talking mm -hmm. about kind of start in earnest at this point in the movie. Mm -hmm. Because we meet the Prime Minister, but then there are a lot of meetings with uh, international powers. Yeah, the UN and and shit. Yeah, there's there's a long sequence uh, on board a Russian submarine, for instance. Oh, Uh, yeah. yeah, Yeah, a Russian submarine is in Pacific waters and runs into Godzilla and Godzilla and they mention this Godzilla is like attracted to radiation like that's what he wants what he eats mm-hmm. uh, he like destroys the sub and this is before people know that Godzilla's out and this is why they have to tell everyone Godzilla's real because there's a Russian sub that gets destroyed incident, and they, yeah. they blame America and they're like okay I guess we're gonna start World War 3 and Japan's like ah oh, shit okay 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 everybody chill the fuck out it's not World War 3 Godzilla is just back and they're like that's better what and now everyone's really really pissed and Russia and America who are at each other's throats at the beginning of the movie are now copacetic Hmm. because both of them are like can we bomb your country again we got all these bombs yeah yeah we got all these nuclear bombs Godzilla's gonna attack Tokyo again we're just gonna bomb Godzilla we're just gonna bomb Japan again please let us do this. And Japan's like, no. Mm. And they're like, but it's the only way. And they're like, how do you even know that'll work? He eats you know, radiation. It, 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 it's, it's certainly good timing that Godzilla w- should be brought back uh, in, during the Reagan administration. Yeah. It, it syncs up with uh, where America was mm-hmm. and just the world in general uh, in terms of the Cold War. There's a lot of nuclear fear in the late 80s. The yeah. idea that America might get a little bomb happy again uh-huh. for the first time since World War II yeah. uh, was a real fear. And a lot of movies were about it as well. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm surprised there weren't more nuclear monster movies from the 80s. Mm. They just remade the stuff from the 50s is what they did. Yeah. You get stuff like The Thing and Invaders from Mars. Like, that stuff started to come out, out in theaters. But Yeah, but we never we didn't remake, like, Them or we, Earth versus the Spider. You no, know? no, but you know the, there were a lot of other fifties remakes. I'm just saying we didn't we didn't go back to the radioactive terrors That's of the nineteen fifties. That's my point. We didn't mm-hmm. go back to those. Our uh, this nuclear test made a giant monster. We had to fight the giant monster, which you know still would have been relevant and mm-hmm. visual effects had improved. So you could have done something really, really cool. I think the closest we got was that really ambitious remake of The Blob, where at the yeah, end it becomes yeah, like a giant... Chuck like, Russell did that one. Oh, that movie rules. The special effects are really cool oh, on that movie. Fucking awesome. Like, it's one of those and you got Shawnee Smith, and I like Shawnee Smith. Hey! And, um... Kevin Dillon. Kevin Dillon. That not, was it. Not Matt. <laughs> I almost I can, said that. I could see the, the, <laughs> the ghost of Kevin Dillon floating past your eyes. Uh, uh, but yeah, bringing back Godzilla in the 1980s was kind of good time for it. Uh, and this plot point that, oh, not just America is, you know, yeah. has all their bombs all lined up, but so does Russia. Yeah. Uh, that If you lived in America in 1984, you probably remember all of the fear about Russia and communism and mm-hmm. this sort of turn back toward 50s conservatism that was going on at the time. Yeah. And, and, the, and the feeling that there was a constant looming threat of nuclear war. Yeah. yeah. Like it could and, happen any day. Uh, hey, you'd think Japan mm. would have a vested interest in what America is doing with its nuclear bombs. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, and to be fair, the movie gets the movie talks about that. Talks about yeah. And there's like, a lot lot of uh, meetings and boardrooms mm-hmm. with Russian and American leaders, played by American and American actors. The Russians yeah. are played by Americans, I believe. Uh, the uh, and and Japan actually has like a long conversation. Should we allow this? And they thought, yeah. well, would this even would it even work if we did? And Japan finally comes to the conclusion: we cannot, like for for moral reasons, for reasons having to do with our history as well. Uh, we cannot allow the use of nuclear weapons at all. Hmm. Uh, and they give a speech, and it's, the speech is, on one hand, like, pretty good, very reasonable, very rousing, you know, you, it's a believable speech. Uh, they basically say, like, uh, you, you can, like, you can bomb our country if you admit, if you agree that if it, Godzilla comes to your country, you'll put a nuclear bomb in your own country. Hmm. And they're like, okay. And I like when we cut away to, like, the Russians, and they do this sort of like I like eyebrow cock and shrug like all right fair enough, which is <laughs> <laughs> just, just sort of like so much of politics is just people fluffing their fucking egos and never admitting that they're wrong, and it's just kind of hard yeah, to it's, it's hard to imagine someone oh, giving God. a rousing speech mm. and the people who disagree with the premise of that speech going fair enough. Yeah, well, it's that, that's to, the fantasy, kind of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the fantasy that movies have. That's mm. the reason why the ending of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is so great. It's not that he like does the filibuster and all has that great speech. It's that at the end, Claude, Claude Rains comes in and says, that, that man was right, I was wrong, I yeah. admit it. I'll, yeah. That's the part that feels cathartic, because that's the part that doesn't feel like it could happen in the real world. <laughs> and it's getting worse and worse. Like, mm-hmm. in these types of scenes and movies just don't feel plausible. And at least not to me. I maybe I've I've grown cynical. I think a lot of people have, at least about it's, politics. It's easy to be cynical right now. Yeah, and, you know, looming fascism and all the rest. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's nice that even in a Godzilla movie, yeah, international powers unite. Yeah, sort of. Uh, the, uh, ish. Um, yeah, there's a bit on where uh, the Russians are dearming. They're mm-hmm. actually dearming. Uh, but then Godzilla attacks their boat again and sets in motion like a launch sequence for a nuclear bomb from uh, space like here in which the... you, which was part of if you look up yeah. Reagan's Star Wars program the yeah. sort of space bound anti-missile program that was part of the, the conversation at the time and there's this one and we'll talk about this and we decided to split this into two episodes we're going to talk about the American version of this film next week um, well because just like with the original Gogeta mm-hmm. uh, that that original film was turned into Godzilla King of the Monsters for an American audience and it was massively recut yeah. And they filmed new footage with Raymond Burr. Yeah. Raymond Burr was still around in 1985. Yeah. So, so they, they did they it again. Yeah. They brought him back. So we'll talk about that version there. But this ver- this scene in particular is really important because it's very different hmm. in these versions. Because in this movie, uh, there's this one Russian guy, not a major character. We don't know his name, really. We don't know anything. We don't know his past, whatever. There's no love interest for him. He's just like... Uh, hey, what you doing there? I'm like, oh, I'm dearming the nuclear device. It's the right thing to do. Boom. And then the machine like goes off because Godzilla, you know, nudges it, and everything's going to hell. And this guy is like desperately, heroically trying to get to like the nuclear armament room to oh, turn yeah, it off yeah, and yeah. stop the nuclear attack. And just when he's just about to get there, like he's almost, he's like a couple of feet away. Like a machine explodes next to him and he dies. And it's really tragic. And then the nuclear bomb will go off later in the movie because of this. And it's like, honestly, 
I kind of love it when just some random character gets like a really cool bit or sequence in like the middle of a movie like this. It doesn't happen often, uh-huh. but like just all of a sudden, like yeah, that guy good for that guy. <laughs> that guy, that guy, I mean, he died and that sucks, but he died trying to do the right thing. Kudos to you, buddy. Like nicely done, well done indeed. Um, meanwhile, uh, yeah, Japan's trying to put together a secret super weapon called the Super X, and they forget about this for like forty minutes. They, 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 like, they mention it once, and they, then they bring it back later. Like, yeah. right at the beginning, what do we have that can stop Godzilla? Because conventional weapons, we even, still, we know are useless. I'm like, well, we have the Super X. What's the Super X? Oh, it's like this really cool kind of, like, uh, uh, tank that's, like, immune to Godzilla fire. And also it shoots cadmium bullets, which... Which will, like... Puncture his skin. Yeah, and... yeah, that's really, really cool. I'm like, oh, great, so we have that. And then we spend 40 minutes doing nothing but talking about nuclear weapons. No one brings up the Super X as a possibility. I I, th- I appreciate that because, you know, they mention it, and then they give people time to build it. Yeah. So it's not like just, oh, we can just build this really quickly and have it ready in a couple scenes. Yeah. So that will or be... they a... build it in a yeah. montage, which would yeah. work, but, you know, it's going to be a little tiresome. Yeah, so that'll be important later. Um, and, um, oh, also we find out that Godzilla, uh, has, like, a homing sense? Well, he's attacking... It, it was explained that, yeah. uh, he, he's drawn... Because this is stated explicitly for the first time. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't part of the Showa era. No, I think uh, they might have kind of alluded to it once, but they didn't really. A little yeah. bit, but in this it's said pretty explicitly that Godzilla is still powered by nuclear fire like it actually is a, a source of nuclear radiation himself yeah and he's drawn to and it. and and also requires it as sort of like a, a nutrition source yeah godzilla is an animal but in this he's like a little bit more of a science monster yeah than just some guy who bullies aliens yeah he's, he's more of a science fiction creature and there's a scene where he attacks a nuclear power plant and he remember in godzilla and, versus... and picks up one of those cooling towers and drinks it like a dr pepper no, he, he doesn't actually do that. No, but, but he huffs cool. from a from a from a cooling tower. That's right, and that's something that we saw Hidora do in Godzilla oh, vs. Yeah. Hidora, and that was like a villain thing. So, like, oh, we brought that back. <laughs> Godzilla vs. Hidora, surprisingly influential. Um, so yeah, Godzilla's attracted to that, but then as he's like destroying this like nuclear power plant, it's just like, ah, yeah, small radiation for me. Ha <laughs> I'm the Godzilla. I'm the Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> now I know what it feels like to be Godzilla. <laughs> Uh, there's a flock of birds that flies by him. Animated. Animated. And then he, and then Godzilla's like, oh, look. And then he just sort of just walks, walks off. Out, walks after the birds. It's like the dog in up, like squirrel. Like all of a sudden, <laughs> birds. What? Oh, okay. I guess I'll do this instead are, of. Are those nuclear gulls? Devastation. Yeah. And uh, the scientist theorizes that uh, Godzilla is drawn to other forces as well, like magnetic poles and things. Yeah, and they is... can use this, hopefully, to drive Godzilla in certain directions. Hey. Here's a hint. Start with that. Try yeah. that first. Yeah. Save a lot of buildings being smashed. Like just just put a beacon like up in the middle of the ocean for a while mm-hmm. until you solve something other problem, right? But instead, their their plan, uh, in addition to the super X, in addition to possibly nuclear weapons, uh, is to use that kind of homing device to drive Godzilla into an active volcano. Uh, which, fine. I don't know if it'll kill it, but yeah. better than having him be in the middle of Tokyo knocking over buildings. I mean, it's not great. Uh, Tokyo, by the way, in the interim, uh, had had really built upwards in like the last like thirty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by the time we hit Godzilla in nineteen eighty four, there's a lot more skyscrapers. So they decided to make Godzilla. I think it's uh, thirty meters taller. 
I was just looking that up, actually. I think he went from, um, like, 50 to 80 uh, in order to yeah, not make people, it seem like uh, he was... He's still, like, shorter than a lot of the buildings, but he just to make him look more yeah, intimidating I, against the modern skyline. There have been some people who have, like, made charts and yeah. diagrams of, like, the various sizes of Godzilla's. Um, because the Godzilla in this is a lot, a lot bigger yeah. than we've seen before. Yeah, just nearly fifty percent bigger. Uh, so, 1954, Godzilla was fifty meters, mm-hmm. and in this one, 1984, he's eighty meters. So, yeah. Godzilla's getting bigger. Yeah. Uh, can you convert that to feet for our American listeners? Um, no. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll hang out like, and, and I can't do that off the top uh, of my head. Yeah. By the way, it's been a long time since I took my SATs. Uh, 80 meters, 2 feet. That's 262 feet. Alright, 80 meters. Yeah, that's 80 meters. So it's pretty, it's pretty tall. Uh, there's a great shot, by the way, when Godzilla starts attacking Tokyo, and that's like the the last third of the movie. Um, there's some cool shots of like Godzilla, Godzilla like looming in the background, and people like running in the foreground. He looks really bigger than ever. It's one of my favorite shots in a Godzilla movie so far, actually, is there's a bit where Godzilla is walking past one of those giant skyscrapers that are, have so much glass it's reflective like the whole side of the building is reflective and it's just the reflection of Godzilla walking yeah. past it it's kind of beautiful actually <laughs> like they're, they're doing cleverer things like I said yeah, the, they're making the fil- most of it filmmaking has changed a lot yeah. they would they you know uh, what, which was the it was Bound for Glory that first used the Steadicam I think uh, it was and yeah, that was right that, around yeah. the time uh terror of mechagodzilla was being made so it was yeah. brand new technique yeah and by the mid 80s like a lot smoother camera movements were were expected they were just pe- the kind of techniques that were being used at the time yeah so yeah we're getting a lot more dynamic shots we're getting lower angles a lot more uh, faster editing more close-ups and yeah shots like reflections in buildings mm-hmm. um when this will peak is something we'll have to keep an eye on yeah when filmmaking will become less dynamic and just busier because that that happens with the advent of cgi yeah a lot of it became sloppy i'm gonna say it's godzilla 2000 when it started to look ugly again yeah but we'll we'll get to that i haven't seen a lot of those movies so i can't speak to that oh i wrote that i forgot a quote a great quote from i'm just gonna say it's quote from usa because it's just some 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 random guy guy. but they're when when the japanese prime minister is talking about we can't allow nuclear attacks anywhere but especially Um. in japan uh because i'm the prime minister of japan um the American says, this is no time to be discussing principle. <laughs> and boy, is that something that it's, it's amazing to me. It's something that, an American might say. Uh, it's, only, it's only people do all the time. Like anytime there's any kind of crisis, a lot of people are really willing just like, oh, well, there's a crisis. So we're all just going to throw out principles, right? We're just going to not abide by any principles. We're just going to do some knee jerk reaction, like just really short sighted, uh, maybe chaotic destructive violent we're just gonna just do that and then we'll regret it later and then we won't ever learn a lesson we're, we're good with that right we're all good with that <laughs> weird um so yeah okay so uh godzilla's attacking tokyo they're gonna try to use this homing device and that's when they finally bring out the super x and the super x looks like the Herkimer battle jitney a little bit yeah it's it's like it's not quite like a ufo it's not like a full saucer but it's kind of got like a a round base and like a kind of uh, uh you know what it looks like it, yeah. it looks like it has that sort of that roundy um 1940s 
kind of Duesenberg, kind of Studebaker-looking yeah. shape, yeah. but it also looks a little bit like one of the flying airships from the Thunderbirds. Yeah. It, it has... All of the somberness yeah. that this film tried to build up up yeah. until this point completely melts away with the appearance of the Super X because it is yeah. a Saturday morning creation. Yeah, it's 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 total sci-fi technology. It's hovering in the middle of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. It's a ship that, unlike any we've ever seen, it's shooting ray guns and cadmium bullets. And yeah, this feels like something straight out of Battle of the Planets. And uh, it shoots some stuff at Godzilla and Godzilla's like, there's it like shoots Godzilla in the mouth a couple of times because yeah. that's the part that's red. And if you've ever played a video game, you know that's the weak spot. Um, you know what? That's something you do in Godzilla minus one. Yeah, they realize they they can fire missiles into his mouth. Shoot the red spot. Yeah. I was watching the uh, there's a the TV series Luke Cage at the end of the first season. Uh, one of the bad guys gets like a kind of like a super thing makes him as tough as Luke Cage, right. but it's literally glowing in the back. And I'm like, Luke, you were mm-hmm. born. Like in my era, you should know you hit, you hit the glowy bit. <laughs> Just do that first. Like, how would you not try that first? Remember in uh, in uh, Spider Man Two, yeah. there's a bit where um, oh yeah, Doctor got... Octopus is like he turns around and shows his back to a bunch of visiting scientists. Is like, see this little fragile thing? This is the thing that keeps me from going insane. So uh, <laughs> I keep this on the I, outside, I, and it's I made wonder, of dinky plastic and I, it glows. I wonder what's going to happen to that thing in this scene. <laughs> Not, uh, there's, a, there's a design flaw. That movie's like deliberately a little corny, oh, which yeah. is why I love it. But that yeah. Sam Raimi movies were like in, they weren't like super concerned with look with being in the completely real world. Yeah, yeah, there was a certain real like emotional quality to them. Like the emotions were trying to be real. Mm-hmm. Like you could take the characters' plight seriously, but it took place in a slightly heightened universe, not a campy universe mostly, but. A universe where some camp could exist. Yeah. And, God, I love that tone. I miss that, that tone. That, that Spider-Man 2, like, really uh, hit the hit the balance. God, it's well, so One and three, not so much, but two, definitely. I, I like one and three better than a lot of people, but, yeah, two is fucking amazing. Um, so, yeah, the Super X shoots at Godzilla, and Godzilla, just sort of, after he's been shot a few times, he just sort of stands there. Like, he can't believe what just happened. Like, did, did, you, you, just, did you just fucking... Did you what? Did you just shoot me in the mouth? I can't believe this. And then he just like falls over a little bit, like into a building, like smashing it. It's a cool, cool look actually. And he spends a big chunk of the movie there, and everyone's like, "Oh, is Godzilla dead?" And everyone's like, "Yay! We we've defeated Godzilla. Things are gonna be fine." And that's when they find out that a nuclear bomb is still heading to Tokyo. And they're like, ah, shit, we still have to evacuate. And so they're trying to evacuate. They have 30 minutes to evacuate the entire city. Not going to happen, but they do the best they can. Uh, meanwhile, they're, they're trusting the Americans to shoot out the, the Russian it's, missile. It's a Russian missile, yeah. and the Americans shoot down the Russian missile. Yeah, but they shoot it down over Tokyo. Yeah. So, like, nuclear fallout still, like, rains on the yeah. city. And I thought... That would mean that, like, oh, so that's what's going to fuel Godzilla, going to supercharge him, going to make him strong again. No, he actually just gets hit by lightning. Oh, I thought that was part of the nuclear fallout. I don't think nuclear fallout generates lightning. Well, no, but this is fantasy world with super axes. I guess. I thought it was, like, nuclear lightning. Yeah, well, maybe it is. Either way, he gets struck by lightning as well. Uh, And, and... 
I just keep thinking about what you said. We bring up Jason Voorhees a lot in this episode, but in Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Voorhees is dead at the beginning. They don't pretend he didn't die. They they dig him up. They find his body. It's covered with maggots, but it's still kind of there. Yeah. And some guy got organs and stuff. And this guy who was like, was traumatized by his experience with Jason as a kid, uh, like stabs Jason's corpse, like in like a cathartic way. Like I'm putting you behind me, Jason. It's like a big, long crowbar. He's got, he stabs it into Jason's chest, but it was in the middle of a storm and the crowbar gets hit by lightning and the light, Lightning rejuvenates Jason Voorhees. And I had long since argued Mm. uh, that this is the point in the Jason movies where they officially become supernatural. And you have long corrected me. And I've Mm. come around. Okay. Come around. Where I think there's some movies that contradict it. But generally speaking, you have argued that because Jason was brought back to life by electricity... Yes. That makes it science. It's We know that from Frankenstein. Yes. It's clear as day to me. Yes. He was shocked back to life by a bolt of lightning, mm-hmm. just like Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. He is now maybe corpse-like. Oh, yeah. But, he's definitely reanimated corpse. Yeah, he's, yeah. He is a reanimated corpse. He is not supernatural. But he was reanimated by science. Yes. We can all agree on that, right? And uh, maybe tougher now. Tougher to kill. Oh, impossible to kill. You, you, you can like destroy pieces of his body, but you know, reanimated corpse with lightning electricity. And then that happens again mm-hmm. at the end of, I think, part seven, where somebody's like dragging uh, his body across an electrical cable that's going underneath mm. uh, Crystal Lake and he's shocked back to life again. I think it's at the beginning of seven. Or at the beginning yeah, of seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good times. Then he melts uh, with the. Uh, like toxic sludge at the end of part eight. Yeah, in part eight, he's in New- he's in New York City, and New York City's uh, sewer system is so gross it mm. melts him. And then in the ninth one, it turns out he's actually a spirit that can possess so, yeah. different bodies. So that no, one's no, supernatural. Number nine, I cannot <laughs> I have no arguments. Yeah, this guy like pulls out Jason's heart and eats him, and he starts jumping out through people's bodies. And he's, he's also, also this got, little like squid demon at some he's point. He's also got yeah. a mustache fetish in that one. Like there's a bit where he like he, oh, he shaves a guy. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna take over this guy's body, but before he does, in his previous body, he ties him down and forcibly shaves off his mustache. That is not important to the movie or the just plot. Jump into guys' just... body first and then shave yourself. Yeah, like... no, that's we needed this shit. Someone had a thing, man. So this was something someone really wanted yeah. to film. You don't accidentally film that. You have to go out of your way to put that in there. So that's always amused me. But then in Jason X, which is definitely sci-fi, David Cronenberg yeah. comes in as a scientist and he says, uh, "We're studying Jason Voorhees because he—it's he, impossible to kill him. He's a scientific miracle." His, his, his cell, like his cells grow back yeah. like that's the excuse they give now it's just yeah. some sort of yeah mutant cellular aberration yeah. but, uh, which brings us back to godzilla because godzilla it turns out they specifically say in this movie is immortal mm. you cannot kill you can stop him for a while you cannot kill him and so while godzilla is like falling well, over the idea, like the like, nuclear fire will continue to burn yeah and you can't like What's the half-life of uranium? Like 4.6 billion years? It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah you exactly. You can't get rid of it. So, like, they've knocked him over, and everyone's like, okay, great. Uh, he's gonna get up. We should leave. And everyone, to their credit, I love, they I love don't... the shot where they, they <laughs> Godzilla's knocked out, and he, like, crashes into a building, and stays, yeah. like, kind of upright. Yeah. Like, unconscious, leaning against a building. I imagine yeah. that's how he sleeps. It's like a horse. <laughs> um, so everyone's still fleeing the city. Uh, there's a cool, like, helicopter rescue where the reporter and the sister mm-hmm. and the brother are like at the top of a skyscraper and they're trapped. So they have to like jump onto a helicopter, but only the brother can make it. And now it's the reporter and the sister are like, I guess this is where we die because I do not trust the Americans to stop a nuclear weapon. And even if they do, Godzilla's going to get back mm-hmm. up. Uh, 
Godzilla does get back up, but in the nick of time, it it, it, it starts fighting the Super X. Super X is out of ammo. It sucks. Uh, but that's a lot, the, lot of destruction, a lot of yeah, yeah, a lot of chaos. And then the homing beacon uh, goes off. They finally get it working, and he walks to the volcano, and then he stands in the volcano as if to say, "Huh, look at this volcano." How nice. Well, I'm, and then, I'm weirdly drawn to this volcano. What is, you know what? This is very pleasant. I could really I could really get used to a place Hello. like this. Ah! And then they explode the volcano and he falls into the volcano. And the saddest moment of all, like the moment that like finally got me to like kind of tear up, is as Godzilla was like falling into the lava and he gave that thumbs up. <laughs> well, a little like bit. Like a Terminator yeah. 2. He doesn't really. <laughs> um, but, but Judgment Day was prevented. It was. Because Godzilla came from the future. Yeah, it's true. That's the next wrinkle for the... You know what? Just do that for the next Terminator film. They're going to do it again. Godzilla. Just, no, just have it be a... A giant be, Terminator? Yeah, like a 60-foot-tall a Terminator. Yeah, that, that'll get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. That's Godzilla Returns, basically. It kind of just ends hmm. right there. Um, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good it's movie. Pretty good. Uh, it's a, it feels like it, classical, but new, you know? It's, it's there, got there's, the old There's something about this, this, like mid-80s filmmaking style that yeah. uh, kind of taps into what movies looked like when I was a kid. Yeah. So I was a kid in 1984. So uh, this starts to look like the way movies ought to look mm-hmm. in just by my my eye. And sound um, as well. Like, even mm-hmm. though it's, like, reorchestrated and, like, they're trying to go for, like, kind of this big... Om- it's, it's not as rousing as John Williams, but, you know, full orchestration yeah. kind of vibe. It's, More not, than... it's not Akira Fukube either. But, no. Um, but, like, it, it, there's still some, like, sound-specific, like, instruments that are used, which I couldn't tell you what they are, but I recognize that, like, I don't know if it's, like, a calliope or a... a calliope? There's, like, um, you, you know, like, when um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is opening? Yeah. And it's got that really serious music, but then it's got that that little dinky... bum 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 Hmm? Bum 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 bum. Like this little dinky, like a like a xylophone. Monty Python. Oh, you mean Holy there's Grail? A, okay. Yeah, that's what I said. At the beginning of Holy Grail. There's oh, yeah, it's, a, it's a xylophone. Yeah. yeah, it's like a xylophone. It's like there's a couple like xylophone notes in okay. this that just I, feel I was very. Trying dated. to follow you there for a second. I yeah. don't. You know what? I apologize if everyone else is lost as well. I. I even you're talking I, about the opening even, score. The problem is that Holy I Grail, don't know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to evoke which is, something. Which is which is like deep brass, but then yeah. there's yeah the the plink 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 plink, which is yeah. a xylophone. Yeah. It is a xylophone. You're okay, right. I don't okay. know. There are other there are other similar instruments to the xylophone. There's a That's marimba, you know. It's not well. I guess it could be a marimba. I could be, but I, I, I think if they're trying to evoke like medieval England, they're not going to mm-hmm. use a marimba. I was uh, I, I briefly went viral uh, when I uh, on Twitter Ooh. when I explained the cowbell sketch. On Saturday oh, Night Live. Did, didn't the, that even get you like a speaking gig? At I one did. Point? I yeah. got to do, I got to do like a speaking gig at like a class to explain like uh, like how comedy like can actually impact hmm. the world like how it is comedy over the years has actually had like social change connected to it and how uh but anyway um yeah i wrote this like twitter thread because someone had just said there is no joke in the cowbell sketch where he's like i i got a prescription and the one thing you need is more cowbell hmm. uh, i got a fever and the one prescription is more cowbell I mean, yeah i'm missing that... him i'm missing him but um second, no the second one was right yeah uh and i just explained in detail how the joke works because joke construction there is a logic to it but if you pull it apart to the extent that uh you know you can actually explain how the joke works it's not funny 
it's it's, oh, it's, it's incredibly it's, analytical. It, it's you a know? you know so, social exercise. Um, yeah. I, I put myself in that position in you know episodes of Star Trek where Data needs humor mm-hmm. explained to him. You kind of yeah. love this is a juxtaposition. This you know plays with expectations that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Uh, so uh, so I did all that, and uh, at some point someone pointed out, and I'm I, I'm still not a hundred percent sure that's true, uh, but uh, apparently. Uh, there's there's some debate about whether or not in Don't Fear the Reaper, which is the source of that Saturday Night Live uh, sketch, Uh uh, whether that's actually a cowbell or if it just sounds like a cowbell. Oh. Yeah. I I didn't know about that. Some people were like, I don't know if that's actually a cowbell. Uh, And I'm like, uh, apparently it was a cowbell, but they were like using like a different kind of mallet on it or something, so it sounded a little different. I don't know. There's some uh, discrepancy. I don't. I totally got lost in the weeds. Return of Godzilla. Um, but you're bringing that up to compare it to the music in this. That there's like a lot yeah, more. Well, I was just percussion, talking, that kind of thing. And also to discuss, you know, when you don't understand something about music, you can just try to evoke it and get it wrong. I'm yeah. not a music critic. In case you hadn't <laughs> noticed, uh, I like music. I looked it up. That's a cowbell. It is definitely in, a cowbell. In, okay. In, in, don't fear the reaper. Okay, just checking. Blue oyster cult. All right. Well, I was I was told wrong by somebody. Someone was trying to pull my leg, yanked my cowbell. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, Godzilla. Um, so yeah, Return of Godzilla. Uh, technically, even though this is considered part of the Heisei era, the Showa era had not ended yet, which is oh, interesting. Historically, the, 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 yeah, historically, the eras are named after uh, who was the sitting emperor at the time. The yeah. emperor is still. Uh, Kind of a figurehead position, not really a powerful political figure in Japan, but still one that sits on the throne and is head of yeah. the, the Japanese Empire. Uh, and yeah, Emperor Showa. Mm-hmm. They're given their names after their deaths. Oh, like they actually okay. like they have their given names and then they're given their emperor names after they die. I okay. believe. Um, okay. Somebody correct me on that if it, you know if I'm yeah. getting getting that wrong. But uh, yeah, Emperor Showa was still sitting at the time this movie was made. Yeah, um... but. We kind of grandfather it into the Heisei era because uh, I think Emperor Heisei was, was. About, yeah was about to yeah because the next film was Godzilla versus Biollante that's right uh, which and, wasn't for another five years which is yeah. you know, kind well, of a big uh, big leap well, after this this one wasn't a huge hit actually like it hmm. did, it did okay enough to warrant a sequel but it was not a gigantic smash success uh, so I imagine that's probably why they didn't rush another yeah. one into production. Uh, right away. But yeah, by the time Godzilla vs. Biollante was coming out, then we were in the Heisei era, and the whole general era of Godzilla mm. is called the Heisei era, even though this is technically a Showa film. Um, but um, yeah, and we're going to we're gonna see... The, does, uh, and you know, you've seen these movies, and I have in the Heisei era. Yeah. Uh, does Godzilla go on an evolutionary journey as a character again, or is he still going to just be like a raging monster the whole time? A little bit more of a raging monster. The idea that Godzilla, Godzilla will become like... Defender, because mm-hmm. other monsters are going to start showing up, and because of special effects technology, they're a lot more elaborate. Yeah, I, I love the way the monster fights are staged in the Heisei era. They're mm. like they they look like modern blockbusters, but with like corny Godzilla monsters, nice. and that's like it's just the perfect blend. There are a lot of these movies. We're gonna have Godzilla fight evil Mothra. Nice. We're gonna make like Mothra's evil twin, a creature called yeah. Batra. Um, nice. Yeah, and, and in the next film we're going to meet Biolanti, who is 
a, a rose, like a rose bush. Nice. That's infused with like Godzilla nuclear radiation. I love that. That's what they go to like first. Hmm. What's the first thing we're gonna have Godzilla fight? We're we gonna like bring back a classic like King Gator or something? Hmm. Like no. A rose bush. Well, we'll meet King Ghidorah as well. Oh, I know. But and like Mechagodzilla. The, like, all of the classics are all It just amuses back, me right? that the, Biolante was the first one they wanted to do. Yeah. Like, that's... They, someone had a good pitch. Well, that's yeah. what they did with uh, the, the 2014 American film. Yeah. It's like, we're going we're, we're gonna to have a big American epic with gigantic Hollywood budget. And it was... And... He fought Muto. Muto. A new monster. They made yeah. up a new monster for the movie. I just, no, fine, don't get me wrong. Like a new monster's fine. fine. Yeah. I just think Rosebush is an interesting choice. It, it is a little bit odd. Yeah. I'm looking forward I to seeing I don't know it. what the symbolism of the Rosebush is supposed to be, but yeah. that's, that's what we're going to do. But before we do get to that one, Ooh. we're going to talk about Godzilla 1985. That's true. Uh, Godzilla 1985 will go into great detail uh, next week. It is the American version. It brings back Raymond Burr. And we're going to see uh, whether it is merely an American version or... Because sometimes well, the American versions dramatically reframe the events thematically. They uh, you know might adjust the characterizations a lot. Uh, and sometimes they're just different. Like they don't necessarily feel like a wildly different experience, but they do uh, I, just I have don't... a different vibe. Well, the original... The, the story is pretty much the same. It's just told through the eyes of this American character that yeah. they shot extra scenes for. They cut down a lot. They added a few extra thing, uh, a few extra scenes. I think the original is still longer than the American recut because they cut a lot. Because they cut a lot, and yeah. they had to shoot all that extra footage. And the same thing happened this time around. Um, Return of Godzilla is like 104 minutes, which I think is the longest Godzilla film to date. Pretty long. And uh, least, I, well, as these least, things go, yeah, it's, it's pretty American long. Ones. I think the American ones might be longer than that. Uh, the the new American ones yeah. are, are plenty long. They're That's over two hours yeah. each. But um, uh, this one's 104 minutes, and Godzilla 1985 I think is 87 minutes, and that's yeah. with all the extra stuff that they shot with Raymond Burr. Yeah, so it's gonna be a different beast, so, yeah. and we'll talk about exactly how that works on the next episode of Thank Godzilla It's Friday. Uh, so um, yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, to Thank yeah. Godzilla It's Friday. We thank, appreciate that. Thank you for Godzilla It's Friday. Uh, this is. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm tired. Uh, Perfect sense. Okay, thank you, everybody. I'm so tired. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Feel free to contact us. You can send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, we also have a P.O. Box. With yeah, me. send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yes, we also have a Patreon over at patreon.com slash network where you can listen to episodes of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, one week early, and all of our new podcasts without any ads. That's right. So if you're like, ugh, these ads, you can skip that. Go to our Patreon. Enjoy. <laughs> if you're like, ugh, these ads. I, I skip am. the ads. No, I, I was, I'm with you. Um, yeah, here's the weird thing. Five second ad, I cannot abide. <laughs> A 30 second ad that I can skip in five seconds time, mm-hmm. that I'm okay with. Well, because then you have, have control. Some control. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like I'm... I'm, I'm Shutting it off myself. Like, I, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> um, but uh, so there, that's over there. We also have exclusive shows over there, uh, including Only the Best. We just did a recent episode of that where we, uh, that's a, sh- a show where we review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. We just did the Best Picture nominees in 1954 when On the Waterfront won. Uh, won. Do you remember what it was up against? Probably not. 
it was a weird crop of films and was really fun to talk about that. Hey, so that's a pretty there. diverse group of, of, of pictures. There. Very strange. Uh, and, uh, and other things as well. Uh, and we're on social media at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time for Godzilla 1985. Thank you for listening. And never forget... Rawr! <laughs>credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.